Today on Vergecast, Apple introduced the new iPhone SE. We talk about that, talk a little bit about that new Magic Keyboard for the iPad Pro. We get into the OnePlus 8 review, and we talk a little bit about what's going on with Apple and Google's coronavirus tracing system. It's coming up on the Vergecast now. Support for the podcast comes from Canva. Presenting to a group of your colleagues can be nerve-wracking, so why not ease some of that anxiety with Canva? Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and that's it. You're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, you know that it isn't just your business. It's your life. And whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's why you might want to check out State Farm Small Business Insurance. Why? Because State Farm agents are small business owners too, living and working in your community. That means they know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast. Teeny tiny phones, little ones. Well, they're they're getting bigger every day. I'm your friend Neli. I'm here. Dieter Bone is here. Also your friend. Paul Miller is here. Hello. I would like to report that my application last week to be friends with people has been approved by the authorities, and I'm now also <laughs> people's friend. Very well done. I'm happy for your friends. Thank you. We need community in times like this. That's right. Real quick, I want to call out a thing that we're doing. We're trying something new. Uh, As you may remember, Casey was doing some Interface Live events before the the current times uh, where you would meet in person and interview somebody. It's great. We're trying to do one virtually. Uh, We're doing Interface Live on Zoom. Uh, Casey's guest will be Bloomberg reporter Sarah Fryer. She's author of the new book, No Filter, The Inside Story of Instagram, which I am told is very, very good. Um, So you don't have to be uh, where Casey is uh, to watch this interview this time. You can just join him on Zoom virtually. That's happening on Tuesday, April 21st from 530 to 630 p.m. uh, Pacific time, 830, 930 Eastern. Uh, There's only space in the webinar for 500 people. This is a virtual scarcity. It's a concept. Uh, that we're we're investigating. Uh, but anyway, sign up. You can just go to verge.com slash interface. Uh, check it out. We're very excited to try this stuff. We might do some other things like it in the future. This is our first one. We're excited. Check it out. Interface Live uh, with Casey and uh, author of No Filter, Sarah Fryer. That's happening on Tuesday, April 21st. Also, before we start, people gave me some feedback that they do appreciate a little bit of virus news updates uh, before we move on to things that aren't the virus. So I'm going to keep doing that. So first, unsurprisingly, uh, you will note that it, it's Friday. The show comes out on Friday. Five weeks ago on a Friday, the president of the United States uh, promised a website uh, pres- to be built, I believe, by uh, 17,000 Google engineers. <laughs> 17,000. It, it was 1,700. 10 million Google engineers. Everyone at Google was going to make a website uh, that allowed anyone uh, to schedule a test at a drive-through testing center in the parking lot of uh, one of our nation's major retailers and then get results uh, on that same website. Uh, Dieter, does that website exist? No. There okay. is a website. There's many web- There's there multiple many websites, websites made by Google and Google's sister companies, but none of them, uh, except for the one from Google's sister company, 
will definitely get you to a test. And even the one from Google's sister company, you got to be in the Bay Area. Yeah. Uh, so there's a Sundar Pichai interview in, in Time Magazine today, and they asked him about it. And he, I would say one of the most skillful deflections of all time. He was like, we were all, we were working on things. And so we continued to work on them. <laughs> <laughs> so it goes. Uh, so that's website, five weeks. Some other stories I just want to call it from the site. Uh, like I said, the second order effects of the virus are, are, are really interesting, what's happening to culture and society. So Megan Frokmanesh has a really interesting story about how game developers are learning to make games at home uh, in the time when everyone's working from home. Check that out. Uh, Sean O'Kane, um, I actually asked for this story because I was, I was personally curious. Uh, Sean dug into ventilator tech, how they work, where the state of the art is, the different kinds of ventilator designs that exist. Can I just point out ventilator tech? Way more complicated than you might have guessed. Super complicated, very hard to use, right? And so there's a big push to somehow make them smarter and easier to use. You can deploy them more widely. Sean dug into all of that. Also into how car companies like GM and Ford are well-suited to spin up massive production of ventilators and a little bit on on sort of Tesla's approach, uh, which is more like modifying other kinds of, they're all, they're all basically pumps, right? So Tesla's modifying some other kinds of breathing apparatus to, to work as ventilators. So really great story. Like, again, it's one that I asked for because I was so curious on the technology of ventilators. So Sean did that. Nicole Wetzman, who was just on the Emergencies podcast, you probably heard from her. She wrote a great story, kind of broadly showing how messy sciences and how we're all kind of like living through a worldwide scientific race to better understand and treat the virus and like understanding that science is messy, uh, is really important. It's, it's one of those like big step backs. I really enjoyed it. It kind of puts everything into perspective. So that's really interesting. Read that. And then Zoe Schiffer wrote a really uh, great piece about medium. Uh, as you know, we, we pay a lot of attention to how social platforms do content moderation, Medium has not had to do it really at the scale of Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, but there's so much blogging about the virus happening on Medium that they had to roll out some very specific rules and they're sort of enforcing them inconsistently, causing themselves some problems. Medium, one of the things in this piece that I think is really interesting is Medium's design makes everything on Medium look the same. Whether it's, uh, we have friends who work at One Zero, which is Medium's tech publication, that stuff is great. They're that's a journalistically rigorous organization. Something that one zero publishes on medium looks almost exactly the same as something a stranger publishes on medium. And that flattening of design actually leads to some, some consequences uh, that medium is having to grapple with. That piece is really interesting. Zoe uh, put it up uh, in yesterday. So check that out. Uh, and then this one is sort of my favorite. It's like right in the verge strike zone. Uh, McKenna Kelly dug deep into uh, unemployment systems around the country. I think there's over a dozen states that she found where their unemployment, the back end unemployment databases are written in COBOL, which is like 60 ish years old. Uh, Paul, before the show last week, Paul was, we were talking about the syntax of COBOL. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very hard language to write in. Uh, it's very good at math. Like it's, it has, it has fixed point math in it. So it can actually do a bunch of these calculations very accurately, very quickly in a way that modern languages kind of aren't able to do. But the systems are old. They, they're, they're not well documented. The people who made them are maybe not around anymore. Uh, and this flood to get COBOL programmers to help update these systems, let them deal with demand, let them do surging demand of unemployment claims uh, is, is actually a big deal. And you just look at the, the sort of like 
uh, stats on searches for COBOL, the, the rates for COBOL developers, they're all, they're all just skyrocketing. There's definitely a lot of developers I follow on Twitter that are like, I should learn COBOL. Uh, ha ha ha. Unless, <laughs> and then they've got like a Hello World COBOL program. But the, you know, it's like there's learning the language, which I think there's a, thousands or maybe millions of developers that could probably get up to speed on a new language in like a month or two. But then learning, like doing the archaeology on a really old system without breaking it, right? Yeah, yeah, that's really tough. And so, and all the sort of modern software engineering practices that you would do to make something scale fast. COBOL programs are all running on, on mainframes. You can't just make them scale. Like it doesn't, right. it doesn't, you can't just like move it all to an AWS server and then like ramp up scale. I think mainframe emulators running COBOL are going to be, going to be a hot thing this year. <laughs> so someone told me that AWS Lambda actually supports COBOL yes. now um, and they can do these like automated ports, but you can't, you can't risk it. Right. Like that's actually the problem. The, the problem is the, the willingness to risk actual downtime to actually break it right it's mm -hmm. very low someone and if you are this person please tweet at me again because i cannot for life me find it someone tweeted me that one approach people are talking about is to actually build a modern front end that can cope with demand and then have it feed feed the data into the COBOL backend at a fixed rate right so you build sort of the front end on aws and can deal with a surging demand and then it sort of rate limits with the COBOL server. Is that how the IRS website's working right now? <laughs> the IRS, we actually, uh, Addy wrote about it yesterday. This is, it's like a, a masterpiece of bad error messages. It is unbelievable. What, what the error message, what is the error message? I got uh, Payment it. status not available. <laughs> payment status not available. So if you were, if you were qualified for the $1,200 payment that was supposed to go out to, to everybody, uh, the IRS started processing those. You know, you get a direct deposit. It's way faster than getting the physical check in the mail. And so people are checking. Some people have gotten them. We, we, we've heard from some people who have gotten the, these direct deposits. A lot of people are just getting this catch-all error message, which is just Schrodinger's payment status. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what does this mean? Uh, there's a link to an FAQ. If you go halfway down the FAQ, it gives you like five reasons that have nothing to do with each other for why you might get this message. And then Addy pointed out that also it says other reasons available on irs.gov, but there's no link, <laughs> even though it's the same <laughs> website that you're on. It's like go somewhere else on this website. So just like a bad design decision. Like we know that error messages should be verbose and helpful. And uh, our nation's government did not get that memo in 1995. <laughs> When, when Microsoft sent it to everyone. Uh, so there's just a lot of that going on. And a lot, like, Reed McKenna's, like Addie's piece is, is really interesting because of the design story about the error message. McKenna's piece is, she did a lot of reporting. She talked to a lot of state governments that are dealing with COBOL issues, trying to scale up demand. Uh, the governor of New Jersey is on television asking for COBOL programmers. Like that's where we are right now. Um, and one thing that was really cool about this, people started reaching out to McKenna, asking how they can help. Uh, how they, they might, they're like retired COBOL programmers or they're willing to learn. So we're going to do a story next week, uh, just some resources for, if you have the time and ability, the experience, we're going to help, we're going to do a story that helps you direct that uh, so that you might help. We're, we're figuring out the best ways people can help. So we're, we're working on that pretty hard. Okay. And then the last big virus thing that we should talk about, uh, we did the emergency podcast with Casey, Addy, uh, and Nicole about the Apple Google contact tracing system. We have since learned more. Casey's been covering this really closely. We've all been paying attention to it. Uh, but we've learned a little bit more about how the system will work. Uh, the two things to me that really stood out, one, 
Dieter, I think Google said they're actually going to distribute the update via Google Play, which is critically important. Yeah, so I, I actually got some follow-up from them on this. So they are distributing via Google Play instead of just a straight-up Android update, which is, thank God, because it's a straight-up Android update, you just never know if you'll ever get that ever, and you got to wait for all sorts of carrier stuff. So that'll just go out. Uh, it will support everything from Android 6.0, Marshmallow, and up. So it goes back pretty far, which is great. I think it, it probably goes back further than like when Bluetooth LE started hitting Android phones. <laughs> but the, the important thing to know is distributing via Google Play is great, but not all Android phones run Google Play. And there's like two big ones to think about or worry about in that category. One is uh, every single phone sewn in China. Um, whether or not China really wants an anonymous system for people <laughs> is yeah. an open question, perhaps. Um, but two, the other category of phones that it can't hit are Huawei phones sold outside of China. So what's going to happen there? Well, Android is open source for the most part, but not everything through Google Play is. Uh, but they do have this thing that they call Project Mainline, which lets them distribute Android updates via the Google Play infrastructure. And for Chinese companies, what they do is they just open source those updates. And then if the Chinese companies also happen to want to, you know, just do the same thing with their infrastructure, it's relatively easy for them to do. And it seems like that's what the plan is going to be for this system as well. I mean, this is like the ultimate Android fragmentation story. I would love if this is open source, like obviously like when Google and Apple actually distribute software to phones, it's a binary. So, you know, we can't audit it like coming from them, but just, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, for me, all of the gold standard in cryptography and like cryptocurrency type stuff, all of that is open source because you want so many eyes on it looking for the potential flaws. Like, oh, actually you thought you had an anonymous system, but an attacker with this set of information could actually identify people. Uh-oh, you know? So I maybe spoke a little bit inaccurately there. I don't know that this, this specific system is going to be open source. In fact, I kind of suspect the answer is that it won't be. Uh, when I asked specifically about that, uh, I was told that Google's going to offer code aud audits uh, to, um, you know, to other organizations that want to create a similar system or, you know, use the seems like mainline sort of thing. Um, so that doesn't mean that may mean that like it won't be. So Google might source. just help them create something that would be API compatible. Yeah. And, and well, so here's the thing. Whatever Google wants to do in order to support Huawei, it just like it can't do it directly. Google's not allowed to provide software to Huawei, full stop. So they have to make a system that they believe in their hearts Huawei could use if it wanted to. Or, or they just don't, right? I mean, like, yeah. see all their choice, right? You'd look at the market share of Huawei phones outside of China and shruggy, right? On balance, the danger of someone gaming the system and issuing a false positive is very dangerous, right? So... I think the instincts here are to keep it relatively locked down. I think they're tempering that by knowing that they need a lot of big name security researchers, big name consultants and experts to beat up on this thing. Uh, and they're, I think they're, they're being open with the spec. They're being open with stuff. But I think the actual code, the idea, the ideas of how it will interact with the server, um, I think they're going to be pretty tight with. Because if you issue that false positive, this is what Casey was saying. Like The real danger here is the false positive rate. You make a bunch of people stay home that don't need to, or you scare a bunch of people and you haven't told them in person, um, people are going to stop using the system. The other thing that I think was more confusing to me, I think this was always their plan 
Um, and I think they needed to clarify it because it was confusing to, to, to me and I think a bunch of other people. They initially said, we're going to put out an API that apps can use, and then later we'll build it into the OS. And I think that just does, it never quite made any sense to me. Like it sounded like first everyone would have to download an app and then they would later, the system would get it. What they have since clarified, which makes far more sense. I think they just didn't say it this way, but they've since clarified they're building Apple and Google are collaborating on the exchange of Bluetooth keys. So the format of those keys, they're building that level of uh, key detection and, and transmission into the operating system from the jump. That's like the thing that is happening is the operating systems are getting the underlying Bluetooth key exchange system built. And then an API is being created for apps to use that system. Then later, when they say built into the operating system, they're going to build a user interface into the operating system for that Bluetooth system. So I think that's like was not made abundantly clear from the beginning. Like they're, they're actually building the architecture into the OS from the first day because you have to to light up the radios. It's just other apps will be able to turn it on, control it. Later, it will get pushed via the user, which makes sense, right? The hard part is the part that you want out is the exchange of Bluetooth keys anonymously and then sending to a server. The user interface can come later. We know that they've said that they're going to use, they're going to allow approved entities per government to, to release these apps. Obviously, Apple has a pretty good hold, not perfect, but pretty good hold on who can release an app on iOS. How is Google going to, to lock that down? Well, Google, Google can control the Google Play Store. Uh, Google also can scan for apps and remotely take them off of your phone if they want to. And they do that for malware regularly, even if they were installed via the Google Play Store. If you have Google Play services and you don't actively try and stop it, your phone is getting scanned all the time for known malware. It's not maybe not as good as like a full on, you know, virus malware protection whatever, but it's pretty solid. And so in theory, if they wanted to, they could just like, if something, if somebody starts distributing something that's malfeasant, they could just yank it. Yeah. And I think that level of control is like, here, here it is like, like almost everything else with the virus. It's like, let's rethink all of our assumptions. Like how much do you want Google to control the apps on your phone? How much do you want Apple to come? Right, right, zero. But when you say in order to to let people like go back to normal. That's always that's always how they take your freedoms. In order for you to be more free, you got to give up some of your freedoms. I I, I don't know. I, I creeps me out. Like I don't want them to control my phone. I don't want them to delete things off of my phone. Um, I want to have, and so I, I would hope that they could build some sort of system that um, is not reliant on everybody in the system entirely perfectly behaved because if everybody has to be entirely perfectly behaved to interact with the system then you have to control all the actions of every actor in the system well if they can if they can certify and limit who's allowed to upload a positive result to the server then like that's that's another layer of protection here. So they ha if they can stop it there, then they don't need to like reach into your phone and and shake it, Paul. They could just like not let the the dirty app upload the data and it should be fine. But like this is still we're what a month away from like the first phase of this thing getting released if they manage to hit their deadline. So there are still just like open questions uh, and not open questions like how dare they just like sh people got to figure this shit out. And the other thing I'll say that's like 
most important is even if they get this a thousand percent right, they, they nail every single technical aspect of it, Bluetooth contact tracing, this, this entire system will only be one piece of a larger set of solutions that are going to require cooperation and solidarity amongst mass populations across state and like country lines. Like if people are waiting for this thing and they think that Google and Apple's framework for key anonymous Bluetooth keys is going to like solve our isolation problem. No, it's not. No. And it, and, and, and Cole made this point a, a dozen times on the emergency podcast. Um, she just kept saying like, all this depends on massively scaled up testing. Yes. And I, I do want to say, cause I'm sounding pretty complaining right now. I do really appreciate <laughs> how seriously Google and Apple seem to be taking privacy and security with this. I just think that ultimately you get the best privacy and security, uh, not through obscurity. 10 out of 10, I would agree with you normally, right? Like, yep, that's, that's, I believe that I'm idealistically believing that. I think this moment is one of those, Nicole said this on the, on the emergency podcast, public health has a different bar of privacy ethics, right? Like if you were to do this manually, you would send people to everyone's house, knock on the door and be like, do you have a fever? Like that's just a different way of thinking about how we collect information. And I think the, the, these conversations are just running into each other with this system. We got a month, it's opt-in, you know, the, the worst case scenario is that like the system gets compromised and a bunch of location data leaks out, like, and you end up with this surveillance and, and you're still trying to solve the test and trace problem. So yeah, Paul, I'm, I'm like, rethink my assumptions is like one of those it's, I've had to do it more because of the current situation that I've had to in a long time. It's like in many ways, I think it's healthy, but this system I think is going to really shine a light on some of those core assumptions of how we build computers and who, who we want to protect us from bad actors with our specific devices in our hand, because there, people are going to be interested in attacking the system when it rolls out. Cause of, mm -hmm. of course they are. That's what have we learned about computers? <laughs> okay. That's all the virus stuff. There's not, there's a little iPhone to talk about. Let's take a break. We'll come back. Let's talk about the iPhone SE. Support for this podcast comes from Canva. They say Rome wasn't built in a day, but you know what you can get built in a day? Your creative deck. You can generate creative decks to use for all your important presentations with Canva. Thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. You want a sales presentation for a tech company? Done. Create an employee onboarding plan? No problem. Just type it in and watch Canva work its magic. You'll have generated options in seconds. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver at work. So whatever you do at your job, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. It's AI for every department. It's easy to learn. It's even easier to use. And because it's built in Canva presentations, you can stay focused on the task at hand with no app switching. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You've heard it before. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. But it's more than just a tagline. Because State Farm agents are small business owners themselves who live and work in your community. And if you're in the market for small business insurance, who better to work with than an agent who understands what it takes? State Farm agents can help you create a personalized insurance plan that fits your small business needs and budget. Talk to your local State Farm agent today about small business insurance. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
All right, Dieter. Yes. So is it the iPhone SE 2020? Is it the iPhone SE 2? Do they call it Edition Special? Oh, shouldn't it be the... Oh, my God. Apple refers to it as the... Maybe they don't use the because Apple hates articles, but it's second generation (laughs) iPhone SE. They must use the for second generation. It's the second generation. However... Is, any, is everybody going to be writing the second generation iPhone SE? No, they're not. So I'm sure Apple is just hoping we'll just call it the iPhone SE. No, Apple Apple hates the idea that if they haven't given it a number, that the number exists. Yeah. Like the previous iPhone SE no longer exists, right? There there was a there was a there was a, a guy named Eric. Now there's a new Eric. We're never going to talk about old Eric again. There's only this Eric. <laughs> well, the the MacBook and MacBook Pro version of that is you you typically do the years in parentheses. But Apple will like admit it's weird right they will admit that they put out a macbook in 2016 and then another macbook in late 2018 or whatever with this they're just like iphone se can we call it the iphone se touch bar (laughs) (laughs) all right so it's an iphone se whatever this thing is i'm i'm gonna call it the iphone se 2020 that's what i've settled on in my head i can tell you what this thing is if you're familiar with iphones in uh three bullet Mm -hmm. points okay iphone 8 body iPhone 10R hardware for the camera, iPhone 11 processor, which parentheses helps improve the camera. Hmm. Okay, because of the the neural engine. So the the things that are new, I don't I, I, like finding the matrix of what the iPhone 8 could do with the camera and what the iPhone 10R could do and what this one could do. I like actually have to look it up a little bit, but they are doing depth uh, portrait on both the single lens on the back and the single lens on the front on the, the selfie camera. It's like monocular depth something, something, whatever. Uh, so they are doing a little bit more computational stuff, uh, and it's, that enables it to do a, do a few more photo modes or whatever. So in theory, this should take better photos than, say, like an iPhone XR. We are assuming it's the same like sensor and camera setup as the iPhone XR. We don't have that dead to rights, but that seems to be... I will say this, Engadget has it confirmed from Apple that it is at least not the same sensor as the 11. Okay, great. Well, that's a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, you can get to it, but like the 11 sensor was a dramatic improvement from the the 10S and 10R. Yeah, that's true. So there's a bunch of stuff to talk about beyond the camera, but like we need to talk about the size because it is not tiny like the original iPhone SE. It is the iPhone 6 size. It is the exact same design as... The iPhone 6 into the iPhone 6S <laughs> into the 7 into the 8. We've had this design since 2014. Uh, this design, by the way, was a big freaking deal back then because it was big. This phone, which everyone's like, oh, they made it, they made they're like keeping the small one, was the big phone. And that is, it was a huge watershed moment for Apple. Just to be clear, because it's not the 8 Plus. No, there's not going to be a plus version of the SE. The 8 Plus is still going to be sold in certain markets. It's like there's like inventory out there. The reason I'm harping on the size thing, like, you know, people you gripe about design or whatever, but um, basically every Android phone now uh, has found a way to decrease the size of the bezels on the top and the bottom. And it you get a much bigger phone in a smaller body. And it's not like a, it's not a, a, a stupid thing. It's like actually matters to have that extra screen space or to have the smaller phone. Um, and Apple could have, had they wanted to, put in the work to redesign this, you know, basic phone body that they've had since 2014 to somehow make the bezel smaller. They could have moved. They could have moved the home button. God knows they wouldn't want to do that. They could have gone ahead and you know 
I don't know, some other method. They could have put an in-screen fingerprint sensor. They would never do that. <laughs> they could have, you know, like everyone else is doing it. They could have changed. I mean, I, it, it appears to be the same display. It appears to be the same display. Uh, it's got true tone. When, you know, we asked about this, the, the, there was a call with press and, um, you know, Apple will never confirm, oh, this is the exact same part. But it's like you ask, hey, is this the exact same part? And they're like, this is an amazing, you know, display that 500 million people have loved. Can I spin a tale that's just wildly optimistic? This is a parts bin phone. Apple looked at what it's got. How do we make a $400 phone? Here, here are the components. Oh, dang, it's really good because we got this fast processor and we just have plenty of it. $400, wildly successful. Then Apple makes a phone with no bezels the exact same size as this keeps the metal unibody because it's just beautiful and i i actually really like i'm I, I was picking up my iphone 7 recently and it's just it's light compared to my pixel and it's smaller and feels good in the hand you know I, it's a it is a great design i do still miss like the the iphone 5 uh, i prefer the iphone 5 to the iphone 4 i would buy an iphone 5 se in a heartbeat, but you could see if Apple was so successful, then like they could come back at this with like th the price is the is the parts bin aspect, right? Right. They've been making this phone for so long that all of the tooling in the factory to make this basic phone is like paid for ten times over, right? When when they make a new phone, they have to do new tooling, they have to build a new factory line, they have to block, like many many things have to happen that they have to pay for. And then they just keep making it. And then the two, like that stuff is paid for and they can lower the price and keep the margin, right? That's the basic model here, which is why they keep their phones around for so long, right? And they just drop the price year over year. I also think there's a lot of antenna stuff here. Like I would love an iPhone 5 or an iPhone 4. I mean, the iPhone 4 is my favorite, right? I would love that. I do not think they can cram the necessary LTE antennas into that body. They could barely cram the necessary 3G antennas outside that body. If you will remember the iPhone 4, um, I think that antenna work is we often overlook it. But I think here they had an LTE antenna design for this body that they could just use. When I worked for a uh, wireless adjacent company, I got tipped off from like a, a rumor of a rumor that the reason phones had to be big is because the antennas have to be big. And I dug into antenna technology and I could not confirm it. I love it as a theory, but I really don't understand antennas enough to, <laughs> to really know why. But it, it really, since LTE, we've had big phones. Well, at first, because they needed big batteries. There's a reason the iPhone 11 and then the, the 10R are the size they are, right? They're the big, cheap phones. As much as we go on about their people want small phones, and certainly we um, have lots of people on our staff who are like, why can't I just get an iPhone that I can use with one hand? We, we hear it all over the place. 50% of this po the population in the world is women. They often say they want small phones. Like we, It's a thing that we hear. And then people's revealed preferences in the store are like, I'd like the big cheap one, please. Right? Like I think everybody in the world should have an OLED TV. People go to the store and they're like, how much, how much gray LCD can I get for 350 bucks? Right. And that is the thing that sells the most. Uh, and like, so it goes, but I think, can it be smaller is directly tied to how much technology you need to fit in it? How big is the battery and, and where do the antennas go? And is there a market for that actually smaller thing? 
And I've been pretty effusive about uh, the idea of this phone since they announced it because it has the A13 Bionic processor. The same processor is in the iPhone 11 Pro. And you people, like, they actually did this with the original iPhone SE. I completely kind of whiffed it. I, like, in my head, when I knew that this was rumored, I expected them to, like, throw an A12 in there. I mean, hell, there's an A12 in the, the iPad Pro, right? A12Z or whatever the hell it is. So when it, it came out that it, they're using the same processor, it just, like, it hit me like a light. Like you can spend 400 bucks on this thing and have a phone that is going to work for another four to five years and probably work pretty well. Like I've got the OG iPhone SE. I, I still use it from time to time. I'd like turn it on for, you know, once this announcement, like reset it up again. And like, it's great. It's fine. Totally fine. I mean, it's tiny, but it's fine. And the thing that occurs to me is it's not that it's $300, $400. It's that it's $400 that you have, you can spend if you want to once every five years. If you buy a $400 Android phone, you're buying another $400 Android phone in a year or two. You just are. <laughs> and so like that's that's an incredible value that like Apple doesn't get enough credit for. And also just like what does the iPhone 11 go for? It's 700 bucks, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So like $300 difference. Like you really see where like the the costs are. It's the tooling, it's the screen, it's the camera. It's that I mean there it is, right? And like battery size, I guess. For all, for most people, they'll they'll be able to do the exact same stuff they could do with an iPhone 11 on this phone for 300 bucks less. And there are many, many cheap Android phones. Like I'm not a super fanboy here. And they can unlock it while wearing a mask. <laughs> That's very true. Also, like the combo platter of Apple stuff. This is your headphone jack point, but like you can get an iPhone SE, a cheap Apple Watch, and some AirPods. And you still haven't bought an iPhone 11 Pro. Like, you still got some money left over. And you have basically the same experience minus, like, uh, face unlock, right? That's a pretty compelling Apple ecosystem story. Even if I think the cheap phone should definitely have a headphone jack. Because forcing people to spend money on your proprietary Bluetooth headphones, you know you know how that sits with me. The pandemic hasn't made me <laughs> rethink that assumption. <laughs> I got to tell you that right now. The camera part is the one that's... Right. If it was the same sensor, I'd be like, this is the no brainer. Right? We're going to have to review it and see the iPhone. If it's the same sensor as the 10 R um, or the 10 S, we'll see what the software does. But that sensor itself was insanely noisy. Right. It, like I did not think that camera was good, regardless of the smart HDR, whatever. Like they've changed some of that tuning. They've made the pictures look different. The thing that got me, they had to do so much noise reduction to get those pictures to not look noisy, that they just blew out details all over the place. Like that was the thing I remembered from the 10S review. Like what is the real problem here? It's smart HDR is really, really aggressive and everything looks a little fake. Okay, they fixed that generation to generation. I think the 11 is great. The details are gone. Like they, they couldn't fix it. They switched the sensor in the 11. They got a lot of that detail back. We'll see if like, you know, the sensor, the the processor, the image processing stack, those are all a unit. They're all combined. We'll see how that goes. But that sensor itself, and I remember talking to the Halide folks, um, they're like, the sensor is very noisy. It was it was not a secret that the iPhone XR sensor or the XS sensor was super noisy. So we'll see. We got to review it. We're, it's like. 
photos of inside will be what we use it to review. <laughs> we can't do our usual tricks, but that it's, Oh no, I have one a, Eli, I bought a bike. It's, uh, I've got a, I've got a bicycle so I can, I can go to take pictures of your bike inside of your apartment. It's hard to get closer than six feet to me when I'm on a bicycle. What I, I want to see this review, just photos of your bike in different surprising locations. Oh, I, done. We can make that happen. <laughs> There's a bike in my uh, one plus review. You can see it. Anyway. Was it in a surprising location? Yes. It was in a surreal parallel universe of color filter. We'll get to that later. <laughs> okay, fine. Yeah, that's the question. Everything's great. I agree with Dieter. Like, incredible value, incredible lifetime value because, you know, the, the chip is new, so they'll probably support it forever. But, man. But if you're if the camera turns out to be meh, like, that's – it's like that's a hard thing to live with yeah. for four years. Right? And the other thing, you know, like, like just – it's the 5G transition is upon us. I don't know if you know if it's a race. Uh, we're racing, racing a 5G. Okay, if you buy the cheap LTE phone and you're expecting to hold on to it over the course of the next five years, depending on how carries manage your networks, your LTE performance might degrade, right? So, like, we'll see. That certainly happened uh, with what they euphemistically called 4G in LTE. Like, I see the 4G indicator on my iPhone now. I'm like, oh, my, my network's going to suck. So like that's a just in, in this moment you gotta man you gotta maybe consider that depending on how long you're gonna keep it. My naive thought of of the rollout is that they're gonna put a five G antenna somewhere probably where they already have rights, so next to their four G antenna, and they're gonna have to run more bandwidth, so one at the four like one at the LTE just benefit from that. It it just depends on when they decide to switch some of their spectrum over. So like who, who knows? It's it's just it, it, this only matters if you're intending to buy the phone for four hundred dollars and then keep it for five years, right? Like five years from now, what will be the state of the the mythical Dish Network LTE five G network? What will be the state of the the T? I, I don't know. Well, you'd still have a pretty good iPod Touch, and that's really all you need because we're all just inside using the Wi Fi. That's right. <laughs> uh, Dino, there's some other. Uh, this MacBook battery thing seems really interesting to me. What is going on here? Oh, yeah. So this was sort of like a, out of the out of the blue. Apple's like, hey, we're going to have some news. And so here's here's what it is uh, for Thunderbolt 3 and higher MacBook Pro MacBooks. So this is like MacBook Air since 2018 and MacBook Pro since I think 2016. They're doing a thing where they want to extend the, the lifespan of the battery, how many years the battery lasts before it really starts degrading. And one of the things that actually is bad for batteries, it turns out, is just like leaving them charged all the way to 100% all the time. Just like that, that's bad, hard on the chemicals. Um, and so you might know that your phone sometimes uh, won't charge all the way to 100% uh, overnight until like an hour before you wake up. Like this is the smart charging thing that a bunch of phones do now. So what Apple is doing is they're using like local temperature data and like your charging history on the Mac, they don't send it up to the server unless you let them, to be like, oh, you know what? If we, this person never unplugs their MacBook, like ever. They're just like sitting on a desk and maybe they'll like unplug it and walk over to the couch and plug it in again. So we're just not going to charge this all the way. Like, nope. <laughs> and so what'll happen is the percentage meter in your menu bar will say 100%. But that 100% doesn't mean that your battery is at 100% of its possible charge anymore. I don't like this. This okay. is how they take your freedoms. <laughs> That's right. but that 100%, what it means now is it's 100% of what Apple thinks is the appropriate charge for your battery to take in order to maximize its possible lifespan, which is, is amazing. You can turn it off, by the way. 
if do you we have any vibe on what that is is that 80 is that 90 like we don't know i i i apple did not provide uh that detail uh, i don't know how many people are likely to like have this thing turned on for them it's unclear uh if it's gonna be like everybody or just this tiny subset of people it sounds like it's not going to be most people but it depends on how often you unplug i guess and i don't know what they will, will it be up to like 95 percent 90 percent what is what is a percent anyway when the batteries started degrading right like it's i think it's a it's a it's just a a feeling it's a it's an urge it's a hunch it's not really a number i remember a couple years ago ashley carmen like did like this big like investigation talking to battery experts about whether you should leave your phone plugged in or not like should you try and i think the kind of the consensus was yeah it might be best to like not keep it pegged at 100 percent, but that's so hard to do so like don't worry i don't know but obviously I, i've just always i'm glad that you paid attention to ashley's video Paul. <laughs> I, I did i did i feel like that was the 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 takeaway like it was don't worry so much but no one can stop worrying yeah th- and that was i just absorbed this worry and so like when i see my computer plugged in i'm like ah, that's not good and then like <laughs> i unplug it and i run it straight to zero and like i my macbook pro like 2015 has been really one of the best computer one of the best technology items of my life battery wise it tells me i need to service it but i still get like four or five hours of battery life it's wonderful but i run it to zero and and then i recharge it to 100 i know that's bad for it so i just feel like everything i do is bad for my battery so I, I I find this comforting, even if Apple does want to lie to me. <laughs> <laughs> I think what's really like right now, this laptop that I'm using is plugged in all the time. I just leave it in this room in an effort to have like different spaces of where I work and where I like, cause I'm just here all the time. You know what I mean? So I'm trying to leave the laptop here. This doesn't make sense. Don't charge us all the way in a world where like, uh, remember planes? I, like I used to go on planes all the time. They were great. I, I mean, I didn't love them, but now they seem wonderful. <laughs> Um, but like the night before I go on the plane, I want to tell this thing, like actually charge it all the way. And like, that's, it's just that little bit of customization. I think I'm, I want to make sure it would be better if they were like, if 100 was, if it was more like a video game where 100 is like where they thought it should be, but you'd be like, I need 120. Right. And you go, boop, boop, boop. Like, that's what I'm looking for. The old whimsical Apple would have done that. They would have been like, do you want to go to 105? Which which Apple <laughs> which era are you referring to? There was like a whimsical era of Apple where they'd be like, like the Dalmatian Spot iMac. Yes, that era of Apple where they're like this iMac <laughs> is called Flower Power would have been like <laughs> 105. It's hilarious. So it goes. I'm, we'll see. When does it when does it roll out? Uh, it's in the developer seed right now, and it'll be in an upcoming version of uh, everyone's favorite operating system, Mac OS mm-hmm. Catalina. <sighs> <laughs> the operating system that hates being there. It just doesn't like it. It's like, why? It literally is like, why? Do, am I doing this again today? It's a perfect <laughs> operating system for quarantine. It's just like, it's just at angst with itself at all times. Uh, speaking of uh, MacBooks and planes, the thing mm-hmm. that I'm ex- most excited for to try in a plane is the Magic Keyboard for the iPad Pro, which they, yeah, they just shoved a- up the release date. Yeah, it's out, coming out early. It should be out um, as you listen. If you listen to this on time, it should be out next week, uh, which is much sooner. Um, although I think it got back ordered pretty quickly. Instantly. What size you want. Yeah, I, yeah. I almost bought this thing 500 times 
And the first time I almost bought it, it was showing me a two to four day ship week. And by the end of the time I was trying to buy it, it was three to four weeks. Yeah. And that was just in the span of like a couple hours. I'm very excited to review this thing. We haven't touched it. We've talked about it a lot. Uh, obviously, I have feelings about iPads and whether or not they are computers or not. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. Uh, I'm. I think. I think that Apple hasn't told us what they weigh, which uh, has me a little bit worried. But we'll see. Now that I can't have it tomorrow, you want it? Yeah. I'm extremely annoyed that I didn't buy it. But it's so expensive. Yeah, it's three hundred or three fifty. Uh, yeah, which is. Like basically can, an iPhone SE. I, it's an iPhone. It costs as much as an iPhone. Can I make a request for who's who's reviewing this? Who knows? Okay. Well, for whoever reviews this at the worst. All right. <laughs> Welcome to the tension between me and Dean. Look up, look up <laughs> measurements for uh -huh. airplane seat spacing, tray table height, and reconstruct an airplane scenario in your apartment. Will you be paid extra for this work? Absolutely. Well, it's up to Neelai. <laughs> oh, no. Paul, Paul, think about it. The screen floats, right? Like it, it comes up like a laptop and then it like kicks out a little bit and then the screen floats. So when the back of the airplane seat comes down, it has a little bit of room to push down. And if it comes down really hard, maybe it will pop the iPad out of the case and break the case instead of breaking your iPad. Ah, Think about it. Okay, so enlist a, ch a child or a significant other to suddenly lean back the four-chair <laughs> and see what happens. There's a couple of rumors. Uh, there's a rumor that the, those over-ear headphones, which aren't Beats branded because uh, Apple hates i don't i don't know whatever they're gonna be over your headphones and the rumor is from mark herman that you're gonna be able to swap out the like ear pads and the headbands because they'll be like magnetic so you can like customize mm. it okay sure like Fortnite. yeah you gotta wonder when when eddie q went to jimmy ivy and dr dre and trent reznor the people who owned beats and they're like he's like i want to buy your streaming service and like we have a billion dollar headphone company was he like yeah, we're going to treat them like second-class citizens the entire time. Yeah, probably. I mean, of course. Like, for a while, like, they didn't even have, like, lightning connectors. Yeah. <laughs> they're like, we won't give you these. But, like, so these headphones, like, they're going to be expensive, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't understand, because in addition to these headphones, which will probably be expensive, uh, you can now buy uh, the, Mac, the Mac Pro $700 wheel kit. How does Apple decide what it, when it's going to gouge you and when it's not? Like, like, where's like, you know, like AirPods, not that expensive. Like not like that, they seem like fairly priced, right? Wheels, like the posts are like $300. Wait, this pricing is out of control. So what Dieter is referencing is previously to get wheels on a Mac Pro, you had to buy them with the Mac Pro. They were like 400 bucks, 500 bucks. I forget. Yeah, it was a BTO option. Yeah. But you couldn't buy them separately. Now you can buy them separately. My strong belief is that Apple is selling these just because people want to buy them. Oh my God. <laughs> I don't have any insight into this. I just know there are some people who are like, yeah, I'll buy some wheels. I want those wheels. <laughs> the wheels alone cost $700. So if you don't buy them with your Mac Pro, you just have to eat in a, like an additional $300 for the wheels, which is amazing. I'm going to buy the wheels and I'm going to buy the stand for the pro display yes. XDR. But, and I'm just going to put them on my desk. But I just, and, but, but then if you bought, if you bought the, the Mac pro with the wheels and you regret it and you're like, I wish it wasn't rolling everywhere because the wheels don't lock and you want just the, the standard feet, you can now buy those. And that's like another 300 bucks, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
I don't think anyone is buying the, the, the feet. Like I, some people are just going to buy the, I promise you someone's going to just stunt by the wheels and Apple will have made their money. If you just buy four aluminum sticks, like you have made a mistake, like just go to Home Depot and just buy <laughs> like a, a rod of aluminum and just cut it and then you will have it. Okay. Imagine this. It's called the path to Mac pro and you buy the Mac pro piece by piece, right? You buy the wheels. You buy the case, buy a motherboard, <laughs> then you buy a graphics card, and you've invented computers. Um, yeah, <laughs> you've invented the Apple One, and you make a wooden case for it. Yes. Uh, yeah, the feet are the feet are two ninety nine, and the wheels are six ninety nine. Uh, we have a post on the site. Uh, Taylor Lyles wrote it. She pointed out that you can just buy four wheels and tires for your car for two hundred ninety four dollars. <laughs> That's cheaper than the Mac Pro. That's great. I love it. I hope some people, I hope people all over America decide they just want some wheels. Maybe they were like, you know, people are at home. They're like picking up new hobbies. They're building like cars for their kids. We should put some nice wheels on the market. I mean, I, I own a fidget cube, you know, just like something to do. Just like, you know, roll a little knob around and push the little buttons on the fidget cube. Okay. But here, but here's the list of prices. Whole okay. ass iPhone with an A13 processor. Four hundred dollars. Yeah, yeah. Wheels, seven hundred dollars. <laughs> Four aluminum posts, three hundred dollars. I it's a very I got keyboard, three hundred dollars. It's very it is a very confusing list of prices. Once they get those Mac Pro factories really revved up and they've paid for the supply chain, you could get wheels for for two wheels SE for two ninety nine. Yeah, they're gonna have to sell those <laughs> wheels for like thirty five years. <laughs> That's great. I'm sure all of this pricing makes sense in some universe. You are certainly not supposed to compare it an iPhone SE to wheels, but it is they just keep handing it to us. All right, uh, and then lastly, uh, the the Halide folks uh, they put out a new app called Esper. Oh, this looks fascinating. Yeah, yeah. So we the iPad Pro, the new one has that lidar sensor on it. They did this great write up of what it's good for. You should go read it. It's really interesting. But they put out an experimental app called Esper that like does scans of objects. It can't do anything. They're like it can't really do anything smaller than furniture, but it can like this app can like scan a piece of furniture, can like, move it around. That's neat. And then it can like scan the entire room and then glue the room back on the room and then do effects. So it looks like you're walking through a cartoon. Like it's just a neat proof of concept demo of what this LiDAR sensor can do. I still don't know what it's for, but it's super cool. Like no one has this iPad. I think Dieter has a review unit. I think Sam Byford on our team bought one. So you two are going to have a lot of fun with this app, I think. But what's what's interesting is that it, it the when you look at the map that the lasers draw for the lidar, that anything smaller than a chair, it kind of really can't get. Um, yeah, I is that is that the scale that we want our AR to be working at? Because you would think they'd want a little bit more there, and especially on the iPad Pro, like it's not hurting for battery. They could have they could have gone a little bit harder on that, but they didn't apparently. Anyway, this app looks amazing. I'm I'm looking to try it. Yeah, I don't I I'm not sure what the relationship between fine-grained lidar sensing and battery life is. Are you, are you suggesting that it needs more lasers? More lasers cost more money? I don't know. I'm like charge more. I don't know. Here's what I want to see from someone. Someone buy the fully kitted out iPad Pro. I'll run you about $3,000 and then attach the four wheels to it. <laughs> 
Just do it. Be like, this is the most intense iPad that Apple sells. And then and then mail it to the YouTube channel Braille, uh, Braille skateboarding, and they'll skate it. They'll skate anything. There you go. See? I bet you money that I have a cow print uh, uh, gateway tower in my parents' attic. I'm going to buy the wheels and attach it to that 1995 gateway. See, look at this. It's been like 20 minutes. I've already sold like five sets of wheels. <laughs> Come on. This is the easiest money Tim Cook ever made. All right. We got to take a break and we got to talk about this one plus eight. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. Paul Miller. Hello. In these troubled times... That's right. Consistency of the following segment is a light. It's called more hurts than you can handle. Old man. <laughs> Why? It's funny. The segment every week, just like attacks Americans. <laughs> no, it's a, it's an attack on myself. It's a self-criticism. Okay. Um, I see. Also, why, why isn't the segment called hurts so good? That's uh, fine. That's fine. <laughs> Maybe one, one of these weeks I'll do that. Okay. <laughs> For you, that's a treat. Um, Horrible. <laughs> so this uh, Red Magic Five G, five hundred seventy nine dollar phone, first phone with an one hundred and forty four hertz display. Also, also, it has two hundred and forty hertz touch sampling. Um, this is this is a phone for gamers, people, and. Um, <laughs> So the 240 hertz touch sampling is not impressive because that's like standard for any 120 hertz uh, refresh rate display. In fact, normally, I'm pretty sure that the touch sampling is usually double the refresh rate. So they maybe just cranked up the refresh. I, I don't know that it's like a fact across all phones, but most of the ones that I've noted, I've seen, I, I do that. Okay. So that's fascinating. Okay, that's good to know. Also, liquid cooling, of course. Also, full on turbo fan inside and there's a vent on the side of the phone i think we've seen one of these gaming phones with a fan inside this is the obvious evolution like if you're really if you're a real gamer and your phone isn't worrying 
like like with a like a just a, a subtle fan wine, I doubt you're that serious. Every time we talk about one of these gaming phones, I beg our listeners, if you are a hardcore gamer that needs a hardcore Android phone for your hardcore Android gaming, to please tell me who you are so that I know you exist, because I don't believe that you do. So if you are that person, please just tweet me at future Paul and tell me about your life. <laughs> but you need a proffer. Uh, you need a proof. You, you, I, I don't, I want to, I want a video of you gaming on an Android phone. Okay. Here's, here's, here's what I want in your, um, online multiplayer shooting game of choice. So whether it be Fortnite or PUBG or whatever, you need to get a winner, winner, chicken dinner, on camera on your phone to show that you're a true gamer and then um i don't know i feel like you should win sort of sort of prize i you really set yourself up to give out some prizes paul (laughs) (laughs) neli will buy you apple i'm not part of this pro wheels (laughs) there's a part of me that wants to agree to this but i'm not i'm not at this time gonna agree with this all right dieter speaking of hardcore phones yeah OnePlus Pro, yeah. 8 Pro, 8 Plus. There's the OnePlus 8 Pro and the OnePlus 8. Yes. And they both were released. They both exist in the world. Uh, I reviewed the OnePlus 8 Pro. John Porter reviewed the OnePlus 8. Uh, according to the YouTube comments, he is more handsome than I am. Ooh. That is fine. I agree with that uh, assessment. Um, and uh, look, so the, the OnePlus 8... Uh, what's fascinating about this phone is uh, it's getting distributed on Verizon. There's a special edition that works with Verizon's ultra wideband 5G millimeter wave stuff, um, and but it's first time like the OnePlus has been on Verizon, which means that they uh, are on T-Mobile and Verizon, and uh, they're also just making a phone that's like really good. So I think they're coming for for Samsung. Now the OnePlus 8 Pro, which is what I reviewed, is not being sold on carriers. It's being sold on Amazon and OnePlus.com, um, and it's just a great phone. Like, yeah. it's just really good. Um, the knock, of course, because, you know, it's always the knock is like the camera is like B plus, you know, Wait, B plus relative to the current level of flagship cameras. Yeah. To the current level. Of, because again, the OnePlus 8 Pro costs $900. And so historically, OnePlus phones, you're like, eh, it's a OnePlus phone. So like they they cut a couple of corners and then you get to save $300. Hooray. Um, and that's kind of the OnePlus 8. Like the corners aren't really cut that much. You lose wireless charging and the camera quality dips is like the main stuff, I would say. The screen is like not quite as fast. It's a 90 instead of 120, I think, for the refresh rate. Um, but at $900 for the OnePlus 8 Pro, like you don't get to cut any corners anymore. You don't get to say, oh, well, you know, you get, you're saving some money, so it's fine. So there, there's nothing to hide behind when you're trying to stack up against, you know, like a flagship Samsung Galaxy S20. Um, and for the most part, I think that it like holds its own. So this is the first time they're on carriers. I think mm-hmm. it's- Well, the, the OnePlus 7, 7 Pro, one, a couple of OnePlus 7s were on T-Mobile. They like started as like a pretty tentative, like toe-in-the-water experiment. Then it got a little bit more serious, but now it's like quite serious because they're on Verizon and, and Timo. So it's Dan Seifert who constantly reminds us, never play, pay full price for a Samsung phone. Correct. All right. Samsung phones come out, they come out at ridiculous prices. And then within uh, you know three to six months, uh, the prices are much lower. Dude, like three to six weeks, like they're, they're dropping like 
like super fast. Um, Samsung is supposedly cutting production. Samsung will give you trade-in value for older Samsung phones up to like four or five hundred dollars for phones that are like you could go buy on eBay for like two fifty right now. <laughs> wow, someone's doing a work from home arbitrage scheme. Yeah, uh, right. So, but Samsung prices collapse very fast. Um, I mean, it, it, every carrier at some point is like, buy one, we'll give you another one for free. Like they just they're handing out Samsung phones. The yeah. question I have is, will this price fall as fast? Because if they hold steady at 900 and then you can get a Galaxy S, what are they at, 35? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, you can get a new Galaxy phone for way less, but it's still the flagship. Like, that's a huge problem for OnePlus. It is. I have no idea. We, uh, I think that their prices have held relatively steady, but they also haven't been at this level before where they're like head-on, head-to-head taking on the S20 on every level of, of feature and every spec. Uh, so it could be. And like, look, you can get like the, the Galaxy S20, the regular size one is smaller than this phone. I don't think they're directly competitive. The S20 Plus is, and it, you know, it's going to get discounted at the same price as as the OnePlus 8 Pro if it hasn't already. Like it's it's going to be. Um, and so that's a that's like a tough heads up decision, in my opinion, between those two phones. Yeah. To me, that just, it always just breaks on the camera for me. Yeah. But I was, I was, I've not been in love with the S20 camera either. So, yeah, no, the, I, the S20 Ultra camera is a massive disappointment. The S20 camera is like good, but it's not like a, it's not a huge, the huge win that Samsung hoped it would be. Uh, it both, uh, especially the Ultra were supposed to be big tests of Samsung sensors. So the OnePlus 8 Pro is using, I forget the exact numbers, uh, IMX 689. No, I don't know. Whatever the, the newest Sony sensor is, it's, you know, bigger physically in area, it's 48 megapixels with like slightly better uh, processing software. Uh, I think that this could be amazing. Uh, someone is going to end up hacking like the Gcam Google photo camera app onto this thing. And I'll be very interested to see what that looks like. They're getting pretty good detail, uh, but they are like OnePlus's processing is a little bit weird. It's like hard to put your finger on. It'll paint faces uh, too much in like dim lighting. Um, it, uh, I think the detail is actually pretty good. The macro uh, performance is incredible, uh, but just sometimes they just they just kind of overdo it a little bit, uh, especially with like colors. Um, so, but you know, in the same way that like you like you get a Samsung phone and you're like, oh, huh, I guess that's that's what you do, isn't it? Okay, I could deal with that. Like you have to like learn that in a whole different way with OnePlus phones, but OnePlus phones you also have to learn it a whole different way with every phone because they're changing their camera much more rapidly to improve to catch up than Samsung is in some ways. So look at the cameras, like it's not as consistent um, in a good way, because I do think they're improving year over year. Just got a few quality of life questions. First, how cool is this charger? Oh my God, the charger. So it wirelessly charges at 30 Watts. Uh, the charger, uh, the cable, speaking of quality of life is like, I think three feet long maybe four, hmm. uh, and you cannot detach it, uh, either on the wall wart side or the charging dock side. Can, can you do uh, like secondly, a the, USB-C power delivery extension cable or something? No, no, it's it's hardwired on both oh, ends. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's so weird. <laughs> it's not even like a barrel plug you can unplug. It's just hardwired. Uh, so if like you want to string the wire like through like a drawer hole or something like I do and like my drawer, like, you know, you just can't, can't do that. <laughs> um, nope. Uh, and it has a vent. 
like there's a fan. Other wireless chargers have fans, so I don't want to dunk on the fan. But they, there's a, a vent that holds the phone out from the the edge, the, the side of the dock, so that it can pull air along the phone yes. and out. A fan means you're a real gamer, Dieter. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Amazing. No, I think this is a great phone. I think that uh, if you are in the market for a big Android phone, you probably are going to want to buy this. It's got a ringer switch. The ringer switch is dope. Oh, dude, I would love to have one of those. Curved edges. Like, I have a hard enough <sighs> time when I'm holding my too large phone, like, accidentally touching the bottom corner of the screen with my, like, the, what's it called when your palm, the part of your palm that connects to your thumb. Like, I'm always accidentally touching the bottom right of my phone with that 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 is that is a killer on this phone it's like you get used to it but it, it takes a while it's and the trend on other phones is to get a little bit less like that but uh not here and then one more is that so it's got a camera bump down the middle which a lot of phones are putting off the side so is it, it can, can it balance in the center if you lay it down flat on the table is it balanced you know how, like, when the camera bumps first arrived, we were like, oh, God, this is terrible. I hate this so much. And then we just sort of, like, got a nerd to it, and now we accept ridiculous camera bumps. That's where I live with this camera bump. Like, yes, I should have feelings about it, but, like, we live in a hell world of camera bumps, and they're never going away. So maybe while it was on the table, who cares? Wait, what? one day, the whole back of the phone could be a camera bump, but then it will finally rest flat again. See, Paul, I'm trying to, I'm trying to praise this phone and you just, you like made me bring out all the nitpicks, but there they are. That's we, what we, we do. successfully here. picked nits. Everybody go yeah. buy a OnePlus 8 and then $700 <laughs> wheels and then do the skateboard thing. It's great. <laughs> all right. Some little news things to pick up. Uh, this one, obviously, personally, poignant for me uh verizon you might remember verizon uh yeah they're a telecom company they also own aol for some reason mm. uh they're buying blue jeans which one of zoom's big competitors blue jeans has been around for a long time blue jeans has a wild history actually it didn't start as a self-contained video conferencing product it was connector software so that if you had some weird enterprise video conferencing solution in your office and some other company had their own weird proprietary video conferencing solution hmm. you would buy blue jeans and it would be the it would be the middleware that connected them both do you know this i didn't know this they've been around for a long, and now they're just like a full zoom competitor they're not obviously as big as zoom i would not say the world has had a blue jeans moment the way that we've had a zoom moment no we're all wearing sweatpants right now thank you very <laughs> yeah, much. it's like the wrong name for this moment in history but <laughs> verizon is buying Blue Jeans, uh, Wall Street Journal reported a little less than $500 million. Hans Vestberg was on CNBC today. Really, actually, I will disclose that I'm a CNBC contributor, but watching CNBC do those interviews now is wild, right? Because all their anchors are in different places. Right. And then Hans is just like at his house. Yeah. Because right? everyone's just like, so they cut between the anchors in different locations to ask some questions. I, I hadn't watched that happen. It was like, you just watch it. It's like a very entertaining way to make television. So they asked him a bunch of questions. They asked him directly if 5G causes the coronavirus. And he was oh like, that's a fake news. <laughs> He's like, screw this. But he said this thing about buying blue jeans, which just like strikes at my net neutrality heart directly. Let's hear it. He's like, we're already, Verizon Enterprise already has all these customers. We already sell it as part of the thing. It's already integrated with our systems. We were already working with them, blah, blah. We're going to build it into our 5G network. I have no idea what that means. Blue jeans at the edge. That's basically what he said, right? Like, here are some buzzwords that we have. What he means is 
there's only one there's only one reason you buy a company. Uh-huh. Right? You think you're gonna make more money. You don't buy a company because you think you're gonna lose money. Well, I mean, Verizon has bought they did buy AOL and then bought Yahoo. So <laughs> it's true. It's I I guess I would immediately take that back. Verizon also launched Go90, but Hans is the new guy. That was the those are the old guys. Hans Vesberg is the new guy who was like, why are we doing this? And shut it all down. So one assumes that he's doing telecom stuff to make telecom money. Uh, that's that's been his focus. It's obvious what they're going to do. They're going to prioritize BlueJeans traffic on their network. Sure. So that if you're a Verizon Enterprise customer, you buy their product and it's like guaranteed to work. It has traffic priority. And all of the other solutions, including Zoom, do not have that priority unless you pay up or Zoom pays up. That is that is literally the net neutrality nightmare. And that's basically what they said today. What if Comcast decides to retaliate and like and like limits BlueJeans performance on its network, would then you be teleconferencing via cutoffs? That's horrible, Dieter. It's very bad. It's very bad. I didn't want to. My immediate reaction was to just let it slide, but I must. I have to live up to my ideals. There's a like a I don't know perverse part of me that wants like the 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 net neutrality nightmare as like a commercial where it's like blue jean like like someone's like like all blocky and garbled on a zoom call and the and then the smart person on the other end says hey why don't we switch this to blue blue jeans and then and then now you're on blue jeans it's like oh it's so clear what an excellent network and service this is integrated wow yeah, that's what they're going to do. They're going to change the name of it. They're not going to keep calling it Blue Jeans. This oh, it's going to be called like Verizon Enterprise Conferencing. Yeah, they're way too stuffed. And, short and they will them. advertise the net neutrality nightmare. They're yeah. going to say, gets priority on Verizon 5G. Integrated with Verizon, built into the 5G network is an enterprise grade video conferencing solution for the future of work. Uh, and then they will say something happy about everybody working from home that yeah. isn't like your fear of disease. They're going to, they're going to be like in a world of, of ever, like now that work has been recalibrated, you need enterprise class conferencing. Verizon is there. And it's like, yeah, what you're doing is prioritizing your own product. Yeah. And like the, they'll be like, it works ideally on 5g phones. And by the way, when you're on a 5g phone on a conference call, your portrait video is really annoying. So make sure you go 90. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> like they bring back the good 90 tech. Yeah. It's a delight. So that's what we'll see. Is there, I've, I've been trying to think, what does it mean to integrate into 5G? What actually, is there some like fig leaf, some pretend thing they could say is technically necessary for like the packets to work better? I think it has, a, I really do think the edge is, is more than a buzzword in the sense that we've been living in a cl- the cloud era where you have very highly centralized data centers and the carriers see 5G as an opportunity to compete with the cloud by putting little, like medium-sized or small data centers very close to the towers or very close to the actual access points. And so they can become the next cloud um, by bundling delivery and, uh, infra- and that sort of hosting. I have literally sat through a Verizon dinner where they like laid that strategy out like straight up. That's the Verizon's big strategy is we need to do millimeter wave and all the other stuff. We actually need data processing facility near the towers. We'll just overbuild it and sell that pro- that ability low latency to do all this other stuff. That's like the plan. Okay. So maybe blue jeans will happen there, but like, okay, well, will zoom get free access to run in your little 
like distributed data center cluster, like without paying or will blue jeans come for free? Like those I think are just huge questions of internet government governance that it's, I don't know how zoom competes with that, but there's no market dynamic that let's zoom or WebEx or whatever compete with that short of just paying the paying up. So there's like, we'll see the other one that's on the same note, McKenna and I interviewed Jessica Rosen a few weeks ago and we were talking about <clears throat> the FCC's keep America connected pledge where Ajit Pai just like went to all the carriers and made them promise they wouldn't disconnect people for non-payment, all this stuff. Uh, carriers doing it anyway. And their claim, uh, McKenna's writing this up. Their claim is you have to tell us not to do it. So if you don't, if you don't pay your bill, but don't tell us, we'll still disconnect you because there's that pledge is not enforceable because the FCC has given up all of its enforcement and oversight authority. So like we're just entering just like very clearly like a wild west era of internet government. Like I could not tell you right now if Verizon is throttling Zoom. They have no, there's no requirement for them to say it. I could not tell you if Comcast, which disclosure, investor investment, media, the whole thing. Um, I couldn't tell you if they're throttling Zoom. And like one question is like, well, if Zoom works, then why would you complain? But like, I don't know if Zoom is working as well as it could, even though I rely on it to do my work because they don't have to tell me and they don't have to tell the OCC. So just a lot wrapped up. This was supposed to be a news bite. It was not. I, I apologize. <laughs> it, was, it was not a news bite. Well, it's gone on long enough that uh, I thought I was going to be able to come up with a stonewash pun, but I just couldn't <laughs> get there. So I'm glad that I defeated you. Uh, Dieter, Google reportedly building its own processors for Pixels and Chromebooks, which is very surprising because I thought they wound down that team. Yeah, well, so they they make the the tensor processing unit, right? The TPU, which was like machine learning customized stuff. I am very surprised by this too. The question is, are they going to like go the media tech route and just build low end stuff? Are they just building more co processors? Like they do the they do the the pixel uh, imaging processing chip or whatever. So they make some custom chips, but they've never made like the main app processor. And I think making the a main app processor is super hard because you have to deal with Qualcomm patents. And like, it's also just hard. Like if it were not hard, we would have Exynos processors in all our phones in the US, but we don't. Samsung literally makes this, this processor, develops it year after year, uses it in their phones in other parts of the world. They could very easily, if they wanted to, you would think, sell it here, and they would prefer to, but they don't. And so if Samsung, which sells tens and hundreds of millions of phones, can't figure out how to get around Qualcomm, Google's chances of doing it um, seem smaller. <laughs> Yeah. Also, Apple couldn't get around Qualcomm. They ended yeah. up paying them. But I mean, Apple's paying them for the modems. Google also, don't they still have like a, a patent war chest? They could be at some sort of cool cool standoff with Qualcomm? Who knows, man? I mean, look, the this is the year of the Pixel 5. And the, the, there's no way this chip, if it exists, is going into the Pixel 5. Like, it's too soon for that. I'd be shocked. But this is definitely the year where like we get to decide if Google is actually serious about trying to get people to buy Pixels or not. Right. The four, like they're trying, but the, the didn't quite get there. Um, either like the five is it or it's like the pixel is just Nexus, but Google happens to make it. Right. Um, and if that's what it is, that's fine. Just say so. And then once you've done that, then like go ahead and build your own wacky processor for it and like take a flyer on it and just see what happens. And if it bombs, no one's mad because you took a shot on your weird little experimental hardware hobby that you do on the side. Like that's all fine. But if they're serious about like the pixel is going to compete with all with the iPhone head on and like we're going to sell in big numbers and we're going to make real money off of it, then this 
you know, reported custom processor is a much bigger risk. I feel like making your own processor is a, a, a bet on yourself moment. Like that's like, uh, we, we, we do want to go big. And I mean, if I feel like Apple moving to making its own processor and controlling as much of that as possible seems like one of the most genius things in the world in hindsight, given especially, obviously it worked out performance wise and they're just winning like their their own processes are are faster than most of their laptops but it also gives you so much flexibility control and like google's obviously moving in this direction you mentioned those little chips like i i it's just becoming increasingly obvious that a lot of the way forward for us to get more performance is going to be uh, apple application specific hardware it's hardware that's designed to accelerate very specific applications uh, on your on your computer or your phone and so it, it makes a lot of sense for google to get into that if they're very serious about phones so if this is true this sounds very serious about phones and maybe it'll be like they'll put it in like the the 6a and not the full-on six and the, that's how they're going to handle it like there's many options for them um and i want the qualcomm monopoly to get like challenged in a serious way i really do but I don't know if I trust Google to be that serious because they have not to date proven that they are that serious. It's interesting that there isn't an AMD to the Qualcomm Intel, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, there's like MediaTek, there's like and Samsung. Yeah, but Samsung isn't here and MediaTek is in the low end. Like, where is the competitor that pushes Qualcomm forward? And maybe it's just Apple and that's the way the mobile market has shaken out. And maybe Google's going to come at it. I look at this and I'm like, yeah, they're going to make. I think it's more like what Paul said. They're they're going to make some weird custom processor units. They're going to they're going to accelerate the things that they care about because like straight ahead Android gaming processing is like <laughs> that's not the problem they have with the Pixel. Yeah, the problem with the Pixel is like marketing, distribution, selling a bunch of them. A little a little like like hardware quality. It doesn't feel quite as like primo as the other Android competition. And with the Pixel Four, I was like, this is their aesthetic. I get it. It like. There's a certain like honesty and humility to it. It's just a phone. Like it can feel like just a phone, but it's not working. Like I think it's fine. I actually like the aesthetic just fine, uh, but it doesn't feel like it's luxurious and fancy and whatever. And very clearly, you need to if you want to sell a phone that costs more than you know eight nine hundred dollars. That was another good news bite. Really, really got through that one quickly. Okay, I am going to do this one fast. We did it on Sunday. Sun this past Sunday. One year anniversary of Foxconn promising a statement or correction. We asked them. We went out. We said, do you have a... They didn't reply. <laughs> so <laughs> that's where that is. One year, we actually... Uh, Matt Jewell, who's a professor at the University of Wisconsin, Eau Claire, I think he rode his bike past the building, took another photo. The building is emptier than it was a year ago, <laughs> which is like my personal... Th like, if you remember a year ago, there was like a laptop on a table. And to be clear, this isn't like social distancing empty. This is like, there's literally nothing. It's bare like concrete. concrete. Okay. <laughs> even, even though like there's a person here taking measurements that has been cleared out. Um, we looked up building permits. Most of the places don't have any building permits. The factory, however, is supposed to open in May. They apparently had an, an open house, which I saw some photos online, uh, very much like a, like a low grade CES. They just invited people to like, look at 8K TVs mounted on a wall instead of a booth. This is a real thing they did at the factory. They like set up a little CES and people came and looked at stuff. Have not yet said what they will be building when they open in May. Don't know. This factory is supposed to open. And we, we asked like various officials in Wisconsin, like, do you know what they're, and they're like, we do not know. Foxconn has not yet told us. So what? the Foxconn Wisconsin story continues into its next round of mystery. What if it, 
the whole time was just a dream factory and what they're building are dreams. <laughs> That's clearly what they're building at, at this point. It seems very <laughs> obvious. Um, the dreams of, of tax subsidies is what they're building. Um, they have claimed Fox on claim that they've hired enough people to qualify for their subsidy payments this year, but they hired them all in a rush in December, like over 70% of the people were hired in a rush in December just to meet the target. So the state is like, are they doing anything? Are these, cause last year they, they claimed the same thing and the state actually found it was less. So another turn of the Fox on story. I'm very excited to see what they, what are they going to make in May? It's like, that's all I want to know. All right. Can I drop a positive, a positive note? The Moto G stylus and G power, uh, Verge reviewed those, uh, Cameron Faulkner. And, uh, they sound amazing for $300, $250. If Apple's $400 phone is too rich for you, you want Android, um, or OnePlus is not what you're looking for, it sounds like they've got way better cameras. Um, you know, they're budget phones. They're not waterproof. You know, a lot a lot of drawbacks. But <laughs> I feel like if I was in the market for a phone right now, I think this is what I'd go for. It's just, just such, it seems like such a good deal. Yeah. I mean, we, we I didn't, I, I haven't... Uh given them a ton of thought I, I really do want to look at it more it's funny like the 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 camera quality is like the thing right um if they can if they can just get up to like a b then all of a sudden it's like it's a really big deal it seems like they're getting there yeah all right that's it that's the bridge cast i want to tell you uh, about casey's interface live again tuesday april 21st uh 5 30 pacific 8 30 9 30 uh eastern Go sign up for that. There's only 500 slots in the webinar. It should be really good. Sarah Fryer, that book, the Instagram book, um, No Filter, very good. So Interface Live with Casey and Sarah Fryer, who wrote No Filter, April 21st. Go sign up for that. Subscribe to Dieter, uh, Dieter's newsletter processor. And then we have a new, speaking of good news on that note, TC Sodic, our executive editor, has a new newsletter called Home Screen, which is just full of fun stuff because we know people want some fun stuff. Uh, f- full of fun stuff that's happening on the internet. Go subscribe to that. All right, that's it. That's our chest. Rock and roll. Paul. Promo code. Thanks to Canva for their support. Canva wants to make your presentations come as easy as those thoughts that pass through your head. And thanks to their AI, you can start with a simple prompt and watch Canva go to work. Choose your favorite style, customize the content, and you're done. It's a serious time saver. Whatever you do for work, Canva presentations can give you a head start on your deck. You can generate sales presentations, marketing decks, HR onboarding plans, you name it. Finish your deck faster. Generate slides in seconds with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. more to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.